Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290, KZSB.com. We're at 11 on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offer competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Banks, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of the small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you enjoying this cool but sunny weather now that the rain has passed? Well, I had an excellent lunch today, I have to say. Well, every Monday is is an excellent lunch, is it not? Yes, we always have lunch together. And we went to a place where we're the only two people there. And we still had questionable service, which shows you how important we are in this town. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, let's (laughs) introduce our guest. We have my partner from Arlington Financial Advisors, the managing partner, Joe Weiland, with us today. Joe, thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be here, Diane. Neil, I'm, I'm trying to picture the two of you, the most important people I know, being ignored at a restaurant. I, just, I know. It's I it's just it's just inexplicable. I, that, that, they'd have to actively work on that because I just well, think you're magnetic. It could be when I moved here, I was told you're not supposed to tip in restaurants in Santa Barbara. Could that be one of the reasons? That might, might have be a reputation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the first article we have today um, is uh, really interesting. It uh, is a study that um, CNBC uh, published today uh, that uh, reveals that women are more likely to participate in 401k plans when there is voluntary enrollment rather than uh, opting out, um, uh, opting in, uh, which is so interesting because probably the only thing that everyone could agree on is that everyone should take their 401k, uh, uh, the benefit of a 401k when the employer, uh, particularly when the employer meets your contribution. And what it found is that uh, in every income group, uh, women were more likely to opt in. And in the $50,000 to $75,000 income range, the percentage of women participating was 81% versus 67% for men, which I think is really fascinating that women are more intelligent about taking that free benefit of the employer contribution than men are. I think that's that speaks volumes, doesn't it? <laughs> The next article is about, it was heard on the street this weekend, uh, which is about uh, something that we've all been talking about, all all of us that are talking about the stock market is, is inflation uh, cooling down? And the article says it is. That is, if you look behind the numbers that we have seen reported, which do show a little bit of a decline, we see a large decline in gas, uh, in uh, used cars, uh, even in chicken wings, chicken, believe it or not, was very, very uh, in, uh, expensive and short supply as early as as late as four months ago, and the price of chicken has collapsed. 
Uh, and finally, uh, real estate is not showing up yet in rent, real estate in terms of rent uh, pricing is not showing up, but there's a lag because the way uh, they're reported is total rents uh, where uh, people who haven't yet renewed, um, which uh, presumably they will renew at a lower rental, aren't included. So uh, we're talking about what the Fed's going to do and everyone's trying to guess, but if you look at the components of inflation, um, things are really beginning to slow down. Which ultimately is a good thing for, you know, the Fed being able to stop raising rates. I think, you know, you're, we're seeing large swings or volatility in the market based upon people trying to predict. So on Friday, people thought, you know, it, the market was up because people thought the Fed wasn't going to raise rates. Whereas today, you know, the market's down because they think that, you know, the jobs number came out and now they think the Fed might raise rates. So I think we're going to continue to see this volatility happening in the market until, you know, there is a clearing of what the Fed's next move is going to be on interest rates. What, what I find really interesting is um, the uh, market, I believe, did decline, as you said, because uh, the job numbers were better than expected on Friday. But if you think about it, with core inflation seemingly slowing, the fact that jobs are still strong means that we're coming in for a soft landing. So it, it, from my standpoint, it's actually good news that jobs were strong with inflation slowing, as opposed to have jobs been weak, then you could have made the case that we're really heading for a recession. But what do I know? Uh, the, the next article um, is from the Wall Street Journal. And um, it's actually um, uh, Funny in a way, but actually serious in another way. And it's called the VIP section isn't always better. And um, it, it begins by talking about Blackstone's uh, REIT, which is a $69 billion non-traded real estate REIT that um, very wealthy investors have been investing in. And just like hedge funds and other types of investments that only the rich typically invest in. There is a restriction on how much money you can pull out. But because things have always been, uh, as far as some people think over the last 10 years, good, there's never been a problem. Well, when they announced, and not only did Blackstone announce, but Starwood, another big privately traded uh, REIT, announced that they're not going to honor uh, withdrawals because there's a cash crunch because too many people are asking for their money back. The whole idea of this uh, limited liquidity in these private funds has now begun to express itself as something that is actually quite risky. Well, I think what's important is many times these REITs are sold as, oh, in X amount of years, you get your money back. You know, never do I see it go exactly to plan. And through this pandemic, you've seen fewer and fewer real estate investment trusts actually pay like they said they were going to, whether it be a dividend and or return of principal, because it's hard to predict that far in the future when you're talking about potentially shopping malls or residential real estate or whatever these rates are investing in, commercial real estate, we're seeing wild fluctuations and consequently the investors are also seeing these fluctuations and oftentimes being sold a bill of goods that actually is not the way it works out in reality. Yeah, and, and the other thing that's interesting is uh, over the last nine months, uh, 
private these private funds had a higher return than the publicly traded ones and uh the irony here is that that could be somewhat skewed by the fact that the public traded funds actually mark to market all of the real estate in a much more scientific way than some of these privately held funds and so you may in fact have had overstatement of asset values in these uh uh, uh high-end uh non-traded funds Additionally, uh, if you can't get your money out of it, then yeah. obviously, you yeah. know, that liquidity should be worth something to people who need their money back. Um, the next article is about the yield curve, which um, is inverted, uh, but it's now inverted at the deepest level since 1981. And as we've discussed a number of times, you know, an inverted yield curve uh, historically has indicated a uh, an economic uh, slowdown and you know lower interest rates long term, and um, th- th- whether it is or it isn't, it, right now we're looking at a, a curve that is uh, a thirty years uh, historic thirty years uh, worth of uh, uh, of uh, inversion. Uh, next article um, is uh, I think really kind of fascinating. And you know, I think we've kind of talked about the whole idea when Friedman said back in ni- in the seventies, you know, the uh, the job of a of a uh, corporate officer is to maximize shareholder value. Uh, this article, which is a front page story in the New York Times, is about uh, capitalism is up for scrutiny, is entitled at elite business schools and Harvard Business School, you know, the bastion of you know conservative uh, economic teachings uh, has begin has begun to offer courses where they're challenging young or young or prospective MBAs to consider the uh, effects of their decision making on all stakeholders including the public and um, what what's interesting is the courses are all sold out that is these they, they have more and more of these courses and more and more students are, taking advantage of of looking at um, business through a different lens than you know Milton Friedman and others looked at, which is simply a way to make uh, shareholders rich, but also what in fact the uh, shareholders and the stock and the and the company owes to society as a whole. Well, and I think we're seeing a lot of that come up with you know the rise of the B corporation. And I think you know when you look at companies like Patagonia, who have always been a B Corp. And you look at company, more and more companies looking for that certification of not only um, beholden to the shareholders, but also to the employees and, and the larger or greater world at, as a whole, you're starting to see that resonate with people as we continue to face these societal you know, issues, whether it be global warming or, you know, uh, people and and how you're dealing with the employees of the world, it's gaining more and more traction. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back.
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. The organization known as Standing Together to End Sexual Assault empowers people through healing and social change to eliminate all forms of sexual violence. Here's Elsa Granados. Well, our organization provides services to survivors of sexual assault. We have counseling available, we have support groups, we have self-defense classes, any number of services that are available to someone who has been assaulted. We are most known, I think, for our hotline, our 24-hour hotline, 805-564-3696. And that's available 24-7, no matter if it's a holiday, 3 o'clock in the morning, no matter when it is, we're there and available. We have trained counselors ready to respond. To learn more about standing together to end sexual assault, go to sbstesa.org. And that 24-hour hotline number is 805-564-3696. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. If you're just joining us, we have the my the founding one of the founding partners and managing partner of Arlington Financial Advisors with us, as well as he serves as the president of the Land Trust of Santa Barbara, Joe Wyland. So, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's a pleasure to be here, Diane. It's uh, it's a treat. It's been I don't know maybe a year or two since I've been on your show. I think it's been even longer. I think it's been since 2017, Joe. So tell us what has what is new. Uh, Arlington Financial Advisors just recently celebrated our twelfth um, anniversary in business, and tell us what's going on at Arlington. Oh uh, well, what's going on at Arlington? Of course, we just had the celebration. You know, it's it's. I don't want to appear boring, but we do financial planning, and you know, one of my one of the things I talk about is you know there are no emergencies in financial planning. If you made a, if you have an emergency today, that's because we made a mistake five years ago. So, you know, what's happened right now? Uh, currently, the markets are seemingly in recovery from uh, a pullback that happened with the advent of inflation. I think you guys were talking about that a little earlier. In interest rates are quote unquote through the roof. I've I like to say that I've been waiting my entire career for interest rates to rise. Well, it's finally happening. Thirty four years later, whatever it's been, 
we're actually seeing interest rates going up in a meaningful sort of way. Uh, it will be interesting in five years to look back and see these charts and see if these charts say that interest rates actually did have a fundamental shift or whether this is going to be one of these blips where, you know, if you take a look, uh, Neil was talking about a minute ago, and what he was saying is that uh, we are in an inverted yield curve, which is to suggest that interest rates are going to be declining again in a year or two. And if, in fact, that's true, and they go back down to the 1%, 2% range that they were at, was this a rise in interest rates at all? It'll be determined to, to be determined in the future. It's kind of a it's an interesting time we're in right now. There's an article that we didn't choose today that was in the paper um, in the New York Times, and that is questioning whether the two percent uh, goal that the Fed has set as its inflation uh, limit is too low, and that inflation at above two percent isn't that terrible if it comes along with growth. And so one of the revisionist views is that maybe they should raise their uh, goal from 2% to 3% or 4% and uh and and keep the economy moving and not panic every time it goes above 2%. Well, you know, 2% in my opinion years ago it used to be they wanted inflation below 5% and then they wanted it at 3%. And then they they got to the point where they couldn't even maintain it at 3 and they were just hoping for 2%. And I say hoping that it would stay as high as 2%. And, and why is it that you'd even want to have inflation? You know, no inflation is better than some inflation, right? Well, mm -hmm. well wrong, because no inflation is pretty close to negative inflation. Mm -hmm. Negative inflation is what Japan had for a lot of years. And what is, you know, what's the problem with negative inflation? Prices are going down. So if prices are going down, why should I buy a car this year? I can wait till next year. Why buy a house this year? I can wait till next year. It'll be cheaper. So negative inflation actually stops the growth of an economy. And I think that they were being aspirational to get the 2% inflation. 3% is probably healthier. It creates a little bit more pressure. Prices are kind of rising. They're not rising out of control, but they're saying, you better get the car this year. You better, you know, don't wait too long to get that house. So I like that article. I, you know, I saw that article this morning and I thought, I think they're actually getting their, their mind around the fact that low inflation is, isn't that healthy. You know, so I I don't I know. Think, you know, when you look at it, uh, inflation fifty year average is four percent. So to have a target of two percent seems especially low, and it might be easier for them to get inflation down to a level that's more normalized and call it a win, as opposed to going artificially low just because that's where they kind of drew a line in the sand. Yeah, so, and by the, and by the way, the, you say artificially low. You're absolutely right because a lot of that low two uh, percent uh, inflation was because of uh, productivity uh, uh, changes because of uh, the um, international uh, barriers of trade going down and the whole supply chain uh, system benefiting. Uh, everybody in terms of prices that that's probably over now. So the two percent uh, inflation rate is um, probably at risk just simply because the world has changed and we can't get the same benefits because people are no longer going to put up with the, the risk of a supply chain when you have to rely on, you know, country and you know five thousand miles away. 
Right. And the reality is, is not having the appropriate supply chain set up for transportation of the goods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it it's a, I, I do think it's artificially low. And I think that maybe the Fed will revise it, you know, not only because of that article, but just because of what we're speaking about right now. Well, it's, it is interesting. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we're, you know, we know that we're going to have a change to the inflation rate. Is it going to be, you know, 2%? Is it going to be back to where we were just three years ago where it was difficult to get a 2% inflation number? Uh, are we going to be up sitting at 5 6 7%? You know, it's it's kind of hard to say, uh, you know, all the king's horses, all the king's men, you know, they don't know. And so we can speculate on it. When we look at financial planning and we think about, okay, here I have a, someone sitting in front of me and they're, they have one life to live, so to speak. And you want to make sure that their plan is good in a 2% inflation world. It's good in a 7% inflation world. It's good in a three that's, that's bouncing around. Whether interest rates go back down to 1%, 2% or they go, you know, houses are suddenly at 7 8 9% going forward. We've got to be planning for any one of those alternatives. It may sound difficult, but it's not as difficult as you think, as long as you have good context that, that you make your decisions based upon. So. so based upon that, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what framework do you use as a guide when you're helping people make these financial planning decisions and they're, you know, planning out their financial lives in general? I I think part, you know, one of the, the, um, things I, I like to think about with people and trying to get people to, to picture it is that we have a lot of emotional charge around money. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of uh, comparison. There's a lot of you know historical um, reflection that we have about money. And I think the, the most important thing to realize about money is if you can be unemotional, you're going to have better choices made. How do you become unemotional? You get under control of your finances. How do you do that? You you save some money. You feel like you have a little excess every single month. If you're not saving a little bit of money every every month, you don't feel like you're in control. And then you're going to be more emotional in making decisions. So we start people, you know, getting control of their finances. Then we say, okay, how are you going to save? Um, you save for the emergency, so you can you can last the long term through the through the vagaries of the markets. And then you say, how are we going to invest for the long term? Well, investing comes down to two, you know, a choice between two things. Either one, you can own items, or number two, you can lend someone else money. And so we make sure people understand that the component that they're using to own, which generally has a better return than lending, uh, you just make sure that they have the right allocation between those two. You know, Diane, you and I have worked together long enough uh, knowing that that everyone's got an emotional charge about, I don't want to hold stocks, or I do want to hold stocks, or, you know, they, some people hate losing money more than they like making money. Um, some people, it's, they don't care about losing a little bit, as long as they know that they're positioned for the growth. And so a lot of it is setting, getting to know who the person is and knowing how we're going to position for who that is for their kind of their, their ability to weather the storms that do come. You know, people probably don't realize how much of a financial planner's job is very similar to a therapist's job, because so many decisions are made emotionally by people uh, who are really not prepared, either economically or mentally, to make these decisions. So one of the real benefits of having a good financial advisor isn't that they can pick stocks, which is not what you're really paying them for, but that you can help them through uh, the minefield of 
what happens when you're not acting rationally and you're acting through fear or through just misinformation. And on that note, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome to Mark Schneidman's Radio Real Estate. I'm here with Talent on Loan from the California Department of Real Estate. Live Monday mornings at 11, rebroadcast Monday evenings at 9, Tuesday at 5 a.m., and Saturday at 7 a.m. and 2 p.m., and streaming at newspress.com. Try to fit in some motoring with Mark. Fourth segment, of course, is the weekly multiple listing sales update. Oh, and also understanding your credit score. Stay tuned. I'll be back next time at this time for another edition of Mark Schneidman's Radio Real Estate. That's what I have to say. Thanks for listening and listing. Just remember, I can answer just about any question eventually. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. And I think we have a caller on the line. Hi there. Hey, guys. Hello? This is Chris. Um, I, I just tuned in, and I heard you guys talking about interest rates and, and the Fed. And I have a question that relates to, to cash. I have a, I guess you call it emergency account or a savings account that has cash in it. And I noticed my bank is not paying me interest at all, but other places have a little bit more interest. Is it is it reasonable to move and look for a better interest rate or just keep the cash where it is? And I'll, I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Thanks, Chris, for calling in. Joe, would you like to weigh in on that? I I say move your money. Make one of these banks actually blink. None, all the banks have kind of had this non-verbal agreement to not pay anyone interest, even though the world is paying interest again. And so I think I think it's our job as uh, in as participants in the economy to move and get our money somewhere where it actually gets we get paid for it to stay there. And you know, depending on how much money you have, 
it's not unreasonable to have a money market paying over 3% right now for cash. So, and along those lines, I think, you know, many of the banks are, are making up for lost time when they were augmenting money market rates when there was really zero. And so they're just now collecting the coupon on the, on the arbitrage of the difference. And there are lots of banks out there that are willing to pay you real interest on that money and you deserve to make money off your, your savings. So absolutely find a bank that's willing to be your partner and pay you interest. Yeah, sometimes you can stay within your bank and get a very short-term uh, CD and roll some of those and get a better return. Uh, but but really, there's there's money to be uh, earned on on cash balances. So so look at your options and and I would say you know absolutely because what we generally recommend for people is to have three months worth of cash. And if you always have three months worth of cash that's a certain portion of your income that's just sitting there and you may as well get paid for it. And you know, what's interesting, you know, the, the historical fundamental uh, view of of stock value has been uh, of stocks value is the uh, net present value of future uh, dividends discounted back at some discount rate to today. And that discount rate is uh, based uh, a big big part of that discount rate is based on interest rates. And the interest rate is the interest rate that you as an investor uh, have that opportunity to invest in. So to the extent that uh, there's 3% or 3.5% available to you, you know that changes the valuation for stocks because you have to discount the earnings of that company you're buying with a higher discount rate, which means those earnings are worth less. So it's it 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 has a real fundamental uh, influence if you are going to invest uh, intelligently and fundamentally. I think, I think that speaks a little bit to the uh, REITs as well. You know, you had mentioned an article about yeah. uh, REITs becoming uh, less liquid, or at least illiquid REITs, uh, private placement REITs not paying out. I think uh, these REIT managers don't really know what their REIT is worth today because interest rates have gone up. Uh, I think that's uh, one of these under, you know, when interest rates change at the, that base level, it resets the prices for absolutely everything in the market. And I think things are playing catch up still to this day as yeah. far as the right prices are. And REITs by law have to pay out 90% of their earnings in order to get their tax benefit. And to the extent that uh, they're paying out all their earnings, but in order to buy new property, they have to raise, they have to they have to pay a higher interest rates. It's very difficult to replace that earnings stream. So you know, REITs are a very interesting uh, vehicle that I don't think everyone understands how they work. That's interesting. I I, I know Neil that you come from a real estate background. Yeah. And so you probably have a better sense of how REITs operate. So they're heavily, heavily leveraged as to what they are if they're paying up 90% of all their income. Right. I mean, that, but, leverage. yeah, in order to keep their IRS benefit of not having taxable income to you as a holder, they have to pay out 90%. And that means in order to grow, uh, they're going to have to find sources of money. Uh, and uh, if, to the extent that they borrow money, it's going to be at a higher higher expense, which will affect their future growth. Yeah, yeah. That That is why when 
when we start with the uh, the nightly news or we talk about financial news, interest rates are always the backdrop of all these financial news because it has an impact so through so many things. You know, the prices of homes, the prices of uh, cars, everything you're thinking about buying. Yeah. Well, and especially in the re real estate investment trusts, as interest rates are going down, they're continually able to refinance refinance their properties. And you, we're, those days have come to an end. We're no longer able to find, you know, long-term rates or even 10-year rates at, at the two, two and a half percent that we were just a year, 12 months ago. Yeah. And by the way, a REIT is like, bond, like a bond almost so that as rates come down, uh, the value of the REIT's dividend goes up. And so the free inverse is true. So as 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 rates go up, not only does their borrowing cost go up, but the value of their dividend goes down because you're available because of the fact that you can get higher interest rates for normal investments. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, well, that that's one of the reasons why earlier I was mentioning that I have yeah, waited my entire career to watch interest rates rise. And Ben, you know, I kind of seen the head fake a couple of times in the past where interest rates appear to be rising. They're rising for six, seven, eight, nine months. Nothing as severe as we've seen this last in 2022, but it could could well be that this is one more head fake where in 2023 interest rates start to, you know, moderate. And by 2024, they're starting to decline again, which uh, would be interesting. Well, in, in many of the mortgage brokers out there, that's an, exactly what they're anticipating, that the Fed's going to continue to raise rates and, and push us into a recession. And once the economy hits that recessionary time, interest rates will start coming down. So that's what many mortgage brokers are saying to people who are buying homes as today, oh, don't worry, you'll get an opportunity to refinance and bring down this mortgage rate, which may or may not be true, you know? Yeah. What I will say about that is, you know, once again, we're talking about, you know, if you're doing financial planning uh, for people and the range of potential futures is is unlimited, you could have go back to lower interest rates or you go up to higher interest rates. Well, how do you make a plan when there's so many different things that might happen? Well, right now, you're thinking about buying a house and people are saying, well, gee, should I take a 6% mortgage? Is that even reasonable to do or a 7% mortgage as they happen to be today? And it's it, the truth of the matter is number two things are going to happen. So if you get the 7% mortgage, number one, your monthly payments are quite a bit higher than they were just six, eight months ago. It may define that you cannot buy as much house as you used to be able to buy. And that's broadly true against the economy. Housing prices should drop to reflect that. But once you do buy the same 30-year mortgage, the benefit of, being a, a, of taking a 30-year mortgage is that six months later, if interest rates go down or 12 months later, or 24 months later, you can always refinance that. If interest rates never go down, in fact, they start to drift up and they're no longer six, 7%, they're seven, eight or eight, nine, you'll feel good about having that six, 7% mortgage rate today. And so- and, and the other thing about that is don't forget as in, if in your second example, not only um, will you be better off than with the interest rate you have today, if interest rates go up, real estate tends to go up with inflation. So the value of your property is going to go up. So when you just focus on the financing course, you're missing the point that real estate is a very good hedge against inflation. I always say to people, you know, the reason why you buy a house 
Well, Santa Barbara has been unique in that it's been very great to own houses here. We've, we've seen periods of time where the houses have dropped as much as 50% in value, you know, uh, in, in a big pullback recession. Will that happen in this particular situation? Uh, in some ways, we're, we're teed up for it. It sure hasn't happened. It doesn't even seem to, to be happening. Um, but the reason you buy a house isn't so you make a killing in, in, in real estate. It's so in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you're paying what people paid 10, 15, or 20 years ago for a house rather than paying current rents in 10, 15, and 20 years. Right. Rents do go up. And, and you want to be paying what they paid 15 years ago. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. The Santa Barbara Neighborhood Clinics provide high-quality, comprehensive, affordable health care to all people, regardless of their ability to pay. Here's Dr. Charles Fenzi. So we're a nonprofit organization in Santa Barbara that is targeted folks who live at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. People who either have no coverage whatsoever, 30% of our patients have no coverage, or people who have very low coverage or minimal coverage. We have about 32,000 people that we're taking care of in the community. I think the proudest thing that I have, not I, we have managed to assemble a, an amazing team of professionals to lead this group. So my job really is to sort of help with the navigation, help clear out the uh, debris in front of the road to allow people to do their very best work. To learn more about the Santa Barbara Neighborhood Clinics, go to sbclinics.org or call 844-594-0343. To Money Talk brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And so I, I presume, Joe, I know you went to the American Riviera party this past week, their holiday celebration. Neil, were you also there or are you not yet partying in the holiday spirit? I was not invited. Oh. No well, one invi- no one invites me anyplace. I heard you got a nice lunch today. Yeah, but I wasn't invited there. Yeah, that's did not you- true. I did invite you. You did? Oh, okay. Yes. That was me this morning. I sent you a text. Right oh, right. Well, anyways, back to the show. <laughs> so 
Joe, let's talk a little bit about your new favorite book, The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness by Morgan Housel. And Neil, wait for this. Your favorite author from the Wall Street Journal, Jason Schweg, is on the front cover of this book saying one of the best and most original finance books in years. So Joe, share with us a little bit about the book and, and why it's your new favorite. Boy, okay. So I didn't know I was going to do a book review, but I can tell you this. I've read a lot of different books over the years on finance and many books about finance, they're, they're written for other finance professionals to kind of get their, you know, their pet thoughts out there. Um, but this book was not written for financial professionals. It was written for human beings and it's all stories. And it's about basically how illogical we all are when it comes to money, right? So, so you think about billionaires that go broke. Why would a billionaire ever go broke? They have more money they could possibly ever use, and yet they still are out there betting. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, we all know that we should be saving a little bit of money. Um, some people don't save any money at all. And you see people, I've seen these people where um, they're, it has nothing to do with the income structure that they have. They might be making a half million dollars a year or more, and yet... Boy, the cars they have, the house they have, the trips they take, everything they have, they just turn it up so high that you realize there's something more going on here than simple mathematics about uh, the ability to purchase or not purchase, okay? There's something deeply psychological about the way we interact with money. So any, anyways, this book goes into... Um, Virtually every aspect of whether you can handle volatility, whether you can handle uh, having a, the bad news that comes on a daily basis, uh, whether you can save money, you know, different ways you might consider it. It's, uh, I have to say, having read, having read enough of these books, this is the first book I, I can go page by page and say I agree with them. Uh, Diane, you always know I always have a comment or two that, that has to insult whatever I'm reading, but... This is not that kind of book. Well, and I and I think um, what's unique about this book is it's it's show it's illustrative through short stories as opposed to a dialogue of you know esoteric conversations about money. And really, I think the point of it is is we all live with our own relationship with money, whether it be you know you grew up without any money or you grew up with every money. Everybody has whatever fears and relationship that they have with money. And how can you actually make that relationship the best for your life? And I think that that's what we're all seeking as humans to have that relationship where it, it alleviates stress as opposed to adding on layers of stress. It's, it's interesting. I was talking with a couple this morning and they're in this situation where, you know, uh, they're they're not here in town. Uh, she works for a major corporation of which you probably have a pair of shoes in your your closet from them. And she's she's you know one one or two two steps down from the C Street suite right now. And they've got enough money that they could quit working if they wanted to, but they couldn't have the lifestyle they want. But as we know in this corporate America, there's nothing worse than working in corporate America. It's the constant grind. And she, right now, she was literally uh, zooming in from Indonesia between factory visits, okay? You can't imagine the amount of pressure and stress. And they have this teaser of they could quit, okay? 
can't really achieve what you want to achieve, you know, as far as your actual ability to educate your kids at the school you want to and so on down the line. But they could maybe not have to go through this big grind. And the psychology of money either keeps us in it, working on it, or keep, you know, lets us kind of walk away from it. Uh, how do you make these choices? How do you say enough is enough? Um, when you're, you may be actually not even speaking to yourself, you might be speaking to your parents and what they told you way back when, when you think about your choices. Um, it's, it is, um, I, I think there's more of that than knowing what the price to earnings ratio is and the, the discounted cash flow models on the pricing of stocks. I mean, ultimately, those things have less likelihood on our becoming personally uh, financially stable than our just our basic relationship with money. When I went for my job interview for my first job, the senior partner of the firm on Wall Street said to me, I'm going to give you some advice, kid. Uh, pick a number that you will be happy with uh, in terms of success and then uh, uh, retire. Uh, if you are in those days, they didn't have jets. So he said, if, you, if you're going to keep looking at buying a bigger yacht, there's always going to be somebody with a bigger yacht. Than you, so part of the decision to retire is is not monetary. It's it's you know what is enough to live in a way that makes you comfortable, you know, without continuing the grind. And the irony of this story is that the senior partner of the firm, I read ten years ago, and I retired twenty five years ago when I felt I could do it. Uh, the senior partner of uh, my firm uh, ten years ago died at his desk at ninety in a wheelchair. Uh, so the other lesson here is is takes discipline uh, to to make these decisions, not just making the right decisions, having the the discipline to to do what you believe you should do. Another reason to have a financial planner. So Joe, when you when you work with clients, you you've had the um, the blessing really of working with clients from inception all the way through their retirement and you know then post mortem. How do you counsel people when they're ready to to retire to go through that metamorphosis, if you will, or that next chapter of life? Well, I like to say that that um, you know retirement is not a financial decision. We should be able to get the finances. Finances are not that hard to get people to the point where they can't afford to retire if they've been taking advice and acting you know accordingly. Then it becomes, how do you want to have your self-expression? Where is that going to be? Is it going to be a professional self-expression? Is it going to be personal self-expression? Do those two actually marry to each other? And so looking at that, you have to say, um, you, it's more about getting to that person and understanding where are their hopes, goals, and does work or their profession, does that no longer uh, fit those, those hopes and goals? And so... I think that's where that's where it begins and then it goes it goes from there. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9 and we'll be right back with our final segment. <music> so 
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The nation's first drive-in gas station opened this month in 1913 in Pittsburgh. Previously, gasoline was dispensed from sometimes awkwardly located pumps at grocery and hardware stores. In the ensuing 107 years, some of the earlier practice has resumed. Nationwide, there are around 113,000 gas stations today. The vast majority, over 99,000, are combined with convenience or food mart stores. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And so, Joe, let's talk a minute about an article that you wrote, um, The Gift of Self-Reliance for Your Kids. You wrote it a, a, a few years back for uh, Santa Barbara Lawyer Magazine. <laughs> Share with us about that article and, um, you know, maybe our listeners can learn a little something from that as well. Well, it, 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 it was prompted by, uh, I was at, you know, a, a little cocktail party and this guy was, he realized I was a financial advisor and he said, you know, I've got this question in my mind. I've got my kids and I've got, uh, you know, these, you know, I, you know, he was fairly well off clearly and his kids were maybe in some need, maybe they weren't. He was talking about transferring, you know, wealth. And, you know, I always say there's four stages of estate planning. Uh, number one, have the best retirement you can have. Um, well, number one, don't be a burden on your kids. Number two, have the best retirement you can have. Number three, if you have any money left over at the end, you can leave it to the kids. And number four, if there's no way you can see you spending all your money in your lifetime, consider gifting now. So considering gifting now means, should I or should I not give my kids money? Now, if you give your kids money, that's money they don't have to make for themselves. Okay, and is money they don't get to make for themselves. It may keep, you know, if you give kids money, they, you know, give you, do you want to give your, your child say, here, do you want to have a college education or do you want $50,000 in cash? A certain percentage of the children are going to take the $50,000 in cash and not get the education. 
if they're if they're working at uh, in their law firm perhaps, and they and you you give them a, a you know hundred thousand dollars right today, mm-hmm. are they going to do the work necessary to become partner? You know when when you give kids money, it changes their trajectory in their lives, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. And, you know, you, you, by giving them money, there's, there's two things. One, you could actually derail their, their, their work efforts and their work goals. And number two, even if you don't, even if they still go out and do what they think they want to do, they'll know in their heart of hearts that, you know, they got a big leg up from their parents at some point in their life. Did they actually achieve what they've achieved when they sit in their house at home and they feel like, you know, this is the place I bought, this is the thing I created for myself. Well, my parents did buy it for me. It doesn't feel as good. Self-reliance is, is something that you can only get one way. And that is through doing things for yourself. And sometimes parents don't understand that when they're giving something to the child, they're actually taking away that self-reliance. And I think that's an important consideration to have people in their mind when they're considering doing gifting. There's a lot of uh, history of uh, what uh, people say is the third generation of rich people. And uh, it hasn't always worked out well. Some of the wealthiest families um, in, in the country, the third generation people have all kinds of issues. In fact, Santa Barbara uh, was uh, allegedly founded at the turn of the century uh, as a place to put that third generation fourth kid who had a lot of money but really couldn't function. So there's a lot of empirical evidence to support what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't it the saying? The, the first generation makes it, the second generation stores it, and the third, gener- third generation loses it? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, it's Joe, thank you so much for being here. It's always good to hear from someone that really knows what they're talking about. Uh, and the two of you, if, if uh, I ever were going to have a financial planner, uh, you are the two guys I would go to. So thanks so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.